Hello, all you bookworms, and welcome to Oh, for the Love of Books, the show that gives tidbits of interesting facts about books and a bit of narration from the books I read. I'm your host, Jessica Vickery, and today we're going to talk about the oldest libraries. Also, a piece from J.R. Ward's Claimed, the Lair of the Woven New Series. All right, so what are the oldest libraries and where are they? So the year this Ebla Library was created was 2500 to 2250 BCE, and it's located near Marduk, Syria, and it's in ruins, but about 2,000 complete clay tablets and 470 tablet fragments have survived. So the Royal Library of the Ancient Kingdom of Ebla is thought to be the oldest library in the world. They found about 2,000 complete tablets ranging in size from one inch to over a foot and 4,000 tablet fragments and over 10,000 chips of small fragments. This collection of texts is the largest ever found from the third millennium BCE. Unlike other ancient archives, there is evidence that suggests the tablets from the Ebla Library were purposely arranged and even classified. The larger tablets were originally stored on shelves but fell over when the palace was destroyed. Archaeologists were able to reconstruct the tablets' original positions and discover that they had been arranged by subject. Additionally, the tablets show evidence of the early transcription of text into foreign languages and scripts. And the other one is Ugarit Library in northern Syria, 1400 to 1200 BCE, and it's in ruins. But thousands of clay tablets and fragments have survived. When the Ugarit archives were discovered in 1929, archaeologists found more than one library. The thousands of clay tablets they uncovered revealed a palace library, a temple library, and two private libraries, one belonging to a diplomat named Rapanu. The two private libraries were unique in the world at the time and may have been some of the first libraries made for private personal use. The libraries contained diplomatic, legal, economic, administrative, scholastic, literary, and religious texts. At least seven different scripts were used in Ugarit, including Egyptian, Luanian hieroglyphics, and Crypto-Minoan, Sumerian, Akkadian, Hurrian, and Ugaritic cuneiform. The city scribes developed the Ugaritic alphabet around 1400 BCE, which consisted of 30 letters, each corresponding to sounds. Although the letters were similar to other cuneiform signs, they were unique, and the Ugaritic alphabet is considered to be the first alphabet in history. And the next one is the Royal Library, Ashurbanipal, created in 668 BCE, its location is in Nineveh, the capital Assyria, 
It's in ruins, but over 30,000 clay tablets and fragments have survived. So before the discovery of the old ancient libraries in the early 20th century, the Royal Library of Ashurbanipal was considered the first library or the oldest surviving royal library in the world. While we know that the other libraries exist, it was one of the first to implement a symmetrical organization of its materials. So when his empire had stabilized, Ashurbanipal built his royal library and filled it with texts covering a wide array of subjects, including medicine, mythology, magic, science, poetry, and geography. The most famous text that has mostly survived intact from Ashurbanipal is the Epic of Gilgamesh. This tablet is regarded as the earliest surviving great work of literature. Well, now for my favorite part. Here's a short read from J.R. Ward's Claimed. It's a new series that I'm very excited about. If you've read the Black Dagger Brotherhood series, then you won't want to miss this one. The first book was amazing. I was thinking about reading a few chapters of this whole book each week, but we'll see. Claimed by J.R. Ward Chapter 1 Town of Walters Established 1834 Upstate New York Lydia Souza's destiny came from her in the veil on a random Thursday in the early spring. As she ran along the wooded trail two miles into the loop that would take her through the preserve's northeast acreage, she was measuring the glowing line that topped the contours of the mountains. Soon the stripe would expand to an aura, and after that, the sun would accept the handoff from the moon, and day would arrive. Her grandfather always told her that there were two twilights, two gloamings, and if you wanted to find your past, you went into the pines in the evening as the sun went down. If you wanted your future to come to you, you went along the forest in the vale, during that sacred transition of night into morning. There he had told her, when the distinction between that which ruled the light and that which held domain over the dark was at its narrowest, when the moon and the sun reached for each other before the rotations of their orbits tore them asunder. There was when the mortal could brush up against the infinite and seek answers, direction, guidance. Of course, that did not mean you got good news, or what you wanted. But life was not a la carte buffet. You could choose everything that went on your plate. Another words of wisdom from a man who had lived to be 101 years old, still smoking a pipe and drinking a glass of Simma after his dinner year-round. Why limit spring to just Vapu, he said. Lydia had never believed in his superstitions. She was a researcher, a scientist, and the kinds of things that her Isuisa had gone on about did not fit with her Ph.D. in biology she'd bought on layaway from the federal government and was still paying off. So no, she was not out looking for any prognostication from the universe this morning. 
She was getting her workout done before she headed into the office at the Wolf Study Project. With the way things had been going lately, she was going to blink and it would be seven at night. Short-staffed and underfunded, everything was a fight for resources at WSP. And by the time she locked things up every evening, she was exhausted. So, Carpcadio was her motto and why she was out in the misty darkness. Lydia let her stride peter to a halt. Her breath pumped in clouds that captured and held the moonlight. And as a breeze came across the trail, her body did the same with the chill, grabbing it out of the air and bringing it up under her windbreaker. As she shivered, she looked behind her. The trail she was on was the widest one in the preserve. A highway rather than a street, but she couldn't see much in the trees. Pines crowded up close to the shoulders of the packed path, and the fog wafted through the craggy trunks and fluffy boughs obscured the forest even more. In a quick calculation, she figured she was about three miles from any other human, two miles from her car at the trailhead's parking area, and a hundred yards from what had caught her attention. There, up ahead, something was close to the ground moving. Fight or flight, Lydia, she thought. What's it going to be? She reached around the small of her back. There was two cylinders mounted on the strap of her fanny pack, and she left the mace where it was. Clicking on her flashlight and bringing it forward, she swung the beam in a wide arc. The eyes flashed over on the left, a set of retinas flaring the light back at her as pinpoints. The stair was about three feet from the ground and the pupils were set close together, as predators were. Lydia looked around again. I'm not going to bother you, she said, but like the gray wolf spoke English. The growl was soft, and then came the rustling. The animal was prowling towards her. Oh, shit. Except. Lydia kept her beam down on the fallen pine needles as she too walked forward. Something was wrong with the wolf, its gait wobbly and uneven. Yet the spirit of the hunter remained undeterred, and she was identified as its target. She was about twenty feet away when she got a sense of the fully mature male. He was filled out at a healthy weight of about a hundred and thirty pounds and his malted gray, white, and brown fur was thick and lush, especially the tail. But his head was hanging at a bad angle, and he was dragging his back paws as he continued to close the distance between them. It was obvious when the wolf was going to collapse, though his head remained forward. His body listed to the side, his will staying strong even as his rear legs and then his Four legs gave out. He landed on the soft bed of pine needles on his side. And the struggle was immediate. Useless paws batting at the thin air and ground cover. As Lydia drew a little closer to him, he snarled, flashing long white fangs, his golden eyes narrowing. Shh, she said as she kneeled down. Her hand shook as she got out her cell phone. As she called a number from her favorites, 
She tried to keep her breathing steady. In the flashlight's beam, she could see the grayness of those gums. The wolf was dying, and she knew why. God damn it, pick up. Pick up. Her words machine gunning from her mouth. Rick, wake up. I've got another one. On the main trail. What? Yes, it's the same. Enough with the talk and get your ass out of bed. I'm on the loop about two miles into the... Huh? Yes, bring everything in hurry. She cut the connection as her voice gave out. Letting herself fall back to a sit, she stared at those beautiful eyes and tried to project love, acceptance, gentleness, compassion. And something got through. The majestic male's muzzle relaxing, its paws falling still, his flank rising and falling in a shuddering breath. Or maybe it was dying right now. Help is coming, she said hoarsely to the animal. Richard Marsh, DVM, gunned the ATV down the trail, the unmuffled engine echoing around the otherwise still and silent forest. As the tires hit tree roots, he fought with the handlebars, wrenching them to stay on course. With the wind in his face, he had to blink a lot. He should have worn goggles, or at least not left his contacts in. Almost ten minutes into the racing scramble, the glow of a flashlight registered through the trees, and he eased up on the throttle. Nailing the brakes, he skidded to a stop and dismounted. His med pack was a duffel, large enough to haul a set of golf clubs, and its weight strained his bad shoulder as he hefted it off the cargo platform and started marching into the pines. He stopped dead. What the hell are you doing? Lydia Susie's long, lean body was stretched out on a bed of pine needles, next to a full-grown male gray wolf, which probably weighed as much as she did. Which was wild animal? Which was capable of anything? Shh, she said, like she knew he was yelling at her in his head. Rick cursed. Move away from the wolf. You're violating every common sense and personal standard. I mean, come on. You know better than this. Just shut up and save him. The woman was no more than two feet away from that muzzle. Her eyes locked on the closed lids of the wolf. Her running tights and shoes crossed. Her windbreaker a loose bag around her upper body. Wolves could run nearly 40 miles an hour. But that kind of effort was not going to be necessary to bite her. That thing could just lunge forward and sink all of its 42 teeth into soft skin. He's cyanotic in his gums. It's the same anticoagulant as before, she said. You're assuming. Rick put his duffel down and unzipped the one side of it. Now get the hell back. You're not tranking him. She hissed as she sat up. And you're not a vet. You're also clearly not thinking. Has it occurred to you that that animal could have rabies? He's not foaming at the mouth. She lowered her voice. If you tranquilize him, you're going to kill him. Oh, okay, so I'll just cozy up like you have and ask him for his consent to treat? He can put his paw print on the forms. 
Rick, I'm serious, he's dying. As she raised her voice again, the wolf twitched and opened its eyes. Rick became an instant focal point, and the animal lifted his head to growl weakly. Get away from him, Rick said in a grim voice. Right now. He's not going to hurt me. I'm not treating him until you're out of range. Rick rose to stand. The trank gun in his right hand, his trail boots going absolutely fucking nowhere. Predictably, Lydia kept talking, but when he didn't move, she eventually did. As she finally shuffled away from the gray wolf, Rick let out an exhale he hadn't been aware of holding in. Then again, when it came to the wolf study project's behaviorist, he shouldn't have been surprised by any of his reactions. Lydia had been the outlier he had not been looking for since the day he'd met her. At least now, things moved fast. As she covered her mouth with both hands and curled her knees up to her chest, he discharged the tranquilizer into the animal's flank. Due to the wolf's low blood pressure, the sedation took longer to have an effect than normally. But soon enough, those golden eyes were closed and going to stay that way. Hopefully not because Lydia was right and he'd killed the animal. Rick brought his duffel bag over with him, and he led with the stethoscope, pressing the metal disc to the chest wall, moving it around. Do you have the vitamin K? You brought the vitamin K, right? Lydia's voice was right by him and he jerked back. She had repositioned herself at the wolf's muzzle, lifting the head into her lap, stroking the malted gray fur of the ruff. For a moment, Rick became lost in the way her fingers sued through the... Can you let me finish my exam first? He said, before you start prescribing antidotes. But you have the vitamin K. Rick peeled back the jowl, the gray gums, the sluggish, uneven heart rate. He knew what was going on. And not only because this was the third wolf they've found in this condition in the last month. I'll do what is medically appropriate. Turning away, he grabbed his pen light. When I'm ready. And can you please put the head back on the ground? Thanks. As he returned to the animal, she did what he asked. Sort of. She scooted to the side but stayed bent over, still calming the wolf. He separated the eyelids and shined the light in. Non-responsive pupil. Rick went to click off the little beam while a raindrop landed on the wolf's cheek. As the crystalline droplet coalesced and then slowly trailed off the fine facial fur, he glanced at the sky. Strange. The moon had been showing when he'd come down the trail and was still... Oh, Lydia, he said. When she looked up at him, their faces were close together, so his hand didn't have far to travel. As he brushed the next tear off of her cold cheek, she stopped looking at him and refocused on the wolf. Just don't let him die, she whispered. Rick felt time slow to a crawl, in the lunar glow that filtered down through the pine burrows. Lydia's face was cast in loving light, the planes and angles that made her who she was visually enhanced by the illumination. 
Her naturally highlighted hair, which was pulled back into a ponytail, had tendrils that curled by her ears and at her neck, and her lips were a promise of things that kept a man up at night and distracted him during the day. Rick now also looked away. Of course I won't let him die. On so many levels, he was not surprised that this woman was making him promise something he couldn't deliver on. But an inspired heart could make stupid out of anybody. It also made you pretty freaking lonely. But who was counting the benefits of unrequented love? See, I told you it was good. Right from the get-go. It's different from the other ones, but I can't wait for the next book titled Forever, which is coming out sometime in the summer of 2022. Uh, personally, I think that's a little long to wait, but I know it will be worth it. I have no patience waiting, especially if something is really good. Well, that concludes my episode for today. I want to thank you all who have taken the time from your day to listen to me talk. And I hope you found the information I gave you interesting. For those who are interested, next week's podcast is going to be the biggest books published and unpublished. If you like my podcast, please subscribe to my show or please send me an email at outlook.com. That's J-E-S-S-V-I-C-V-O-I-C-E at Outlook.com with your thoughts and questions. I've also decided to read the next chapter from Claimed for next week. Thank you again, and please join me next week on Oh for the Love of Books. And as always, dream big and keep reading. <laughs>